more than 5 million Americans lost their health care in the months since the pandemic started. Our dogs are anxious and not ready to handle us leaving them behind again in the near future. And we're talking to COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project founder Zachary Newman about the eviction avalanche that's kicking off in the U.S. The date, July 14th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Real quick, yesterday we played the song F2020 by Avenue Beat and called it the anthem of the year. Well, we got an email that clued us into the fact that apparently Centuries by Fallout Boy is the anthem of Gen Z. <laughs> I think that's amazing because that means they've learned something from us. Good old millennials. <laughs> yeah, we have passed on the knowledge of pop punk to them, apparently. Uh, so yeah, the song is apparently being used along with videos that Gen Z is putting out there about how active they are in social justice movements and being just general little bamps and the, how they're going to change the world. And I kind of liked that, especially since the song is, it's it goes, but does it go? Question mark in my mind. <laughs> does it go? Good question. But yeah, it is good. I've seen like a couple of those TikToks and it's just like that song playing in the background and then just like Gen Z just like doing everything that they're doing to try and advance and save this world that is going down the way it is. And I got to say, it's really funny to me, though, that this song is Fallout Boy, but it's also from the soundtrack of Disney's Big Hero 6. It's okay, just, yeah, it's... but wait, that makes sense to me. <laughs> that, okay, Big Hero 6, it made me cry and gave me lots of feelings. And that's, that's the same thing that happens when I watch these videos. <laughs> anyway, many thanks to Becca from Iowa for emailing us and letting us know how important pop punk is to the youth. Okay, it's time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. More than 5 million Americans lost their health care in the month since the pandemic started, the largest increase in that time period ever recorded. That's according to a new report out from the nonpartisan group Families USA, which says an estimated 5.4 million people total lost insurance between February and May as the unemployment rate skyrocketed. And believe it or not, that's one of the more conservative estimates. The Kaiser Family Foundation puts the number at closer to 27 million if you take into account family members who are on employer-sponsored health plans. We won't have definitive federal numbers until sometime next year, but it's clear that this is going to be a major problem, especially as many hospitals are facing a rising wave of coronavirus cases and are running low on funding. And according to the CDC, yesterday marked yet another day where the U.S. confirmed over 60,000 new COVID-19 cases around the country. So far, 3.3 million people have been diagnosed with the virus in the U.S. Meanwhile, the Trump administration carried out the first execution of a federal inmate in 17 years after a last-second hold was denied by the Supreme Court. Daniel Lee Lewis was killed via lethal injection this morning, making him the first death row inmate to be executed by the federal government since 2003. A federal judge in D.C. had ordered that Lewis's execution be put on hold yesterday based on his and other inmates' current legal challenges to the administration's new execution protocols. Those protocols say that rather than a previous cocktail of three different drugs, executions would just use one, pentobarbital sodium. The D.C. judge concluded that it was likely that the inmates would successfully argue that the methods used violate the Eighth Amendment, which bars cruel and unusual punishments. But at 2 a.m., the Supreme Court overturned that judge's decision in a 5-4 ruling. 
Attorney General Bill Barr announced last month that despite the legal challenges, federal executions would start up again with dates set for the deaths of five men. All five, including Lewis, had been convicted of murder, specifically the murder of children. So then what you're saying is based on the D.C. judge's conclusion that this could be deemed as cruel and unusual punishment. Right. That the question that is before the court still is, is the way that we are killing people mm-hmm. uh, for the crimes that they've committed against the state uh, unconstitutional? Is mm-hmm. it cruel and unusual? Is it some... and. BuzzFeed has done a lot of reporting on this throughout the years. A former reporter here, uh, Chris McDaniel, he did a lot of reporting on this and how states were using these drugs to lethally inject people. And states were having a hard time getting these drugs because one of the only makers of pentobarbital sodium uh, in the U.S., the only one who's allowed to make it, specifically says you cannot sell this to people who are committing execution. So my big question is, where did the federal government get this drug to actually uh, commit this execution today? And I'm really looking forward to seeing what the reporting turns up on that. Mm, Definitely. Okay, that's all I've got for today. Casey, how about you? Okay, well, you know how a couple of weeks ago we talked about a proposed settlement for Harvey Weinstein's alleged victims? Mm -hmm. Well, today a federal judge rejected that proposal. The proposed settlement would have created a nearly $19 million survivor fund for the alleged victims of Weinstein's sexual harassment and assault, which would be paid out by insurance companies. It also would have kept the New York attorney general from moving forward with any criminal charges against the defendants. On Monday, the lawyers of women who objected to the terms of the settlement offer filed their complaints with the court. Among their concerns, Weinstein and other defendants would have to admit no guilt and that insurance companies would also set aside another $1.5 million for the cost of defending them from suits filed by women who weren't a part of the settlement. The New York Attorney General's office seemed a little caught off guard by the ruling, telling The Hollywood Reporter, quote, We will review the decision and determine next steps. Our office has been fighting tirelessly to provide these brave women with the justice they are owed and will continue to do so. Also, some sad news. Grant Imahara, who was one of the hosts on Discovery Channel's Mythbusters, passed away yesterday. Imahara was known for his work with electronics and animatronics, which complemented his role building robots to help test out myths perfectly. He left the show back in 2014, along with his fellow co-hosts, Carrie Byron and Tori Balicci. In 2016, the three of them reunited to host Netflix's The White Rabbit Project. According to The Hollywood Reporter, he died of a brain aneurysm. He was 49 years old. And yesterday was the 80th birthday of Sir Patrick Stewart, and his best friend had a perfect present for him. Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen first met forever ago, but have been friends since they were both in the first X-Men movie 20 years ago, playing arch enemies Professor X and Magneto. Since the start of the pandemic, Stewart's been recording a Shakespearean sonnet a day, and to save a few breaks here and there, he's been going pretty strong. So for his birthday, Stewart got a little assist, courtesy of McKellen, and arranged by his wife, Sonny Ozell. Your monument should be my gentle verse, which eyes not yet created shall all read, and tongues to be your being shall rehearse, when all the breathers of this world are dead. You still shall live. Such virtue has my pen, where breath most breathes, even in the mouths of men. And a very happy birthday, dear Patrick. Lots of love. All right, we needed that. That was really sweet. I love hearing Ian McKellen's voice. I know, and that that was just super soothing, and it was just really heartfelt. 
Right. And Ian McKellen, even in Cats, I must say, he still kept that gravitas <laughs> and dignity that only he has. And uh, I just love him and Patrick Stewart's friendship so it is, much. It's, it's such a solid one. It really is. Everything about it is pure. Uh, and going back to Grand Imahara really quickly, I just, I really loved that show when it was on. And mm. I just shout out to him and everyone else in the field of special effects who are still making models, still making robots, still doing things the quote-unquote old-fashioned way and not just using CGI for all the effects. I think that's really important. And I I, I really hope that uh, part of his legacy is people continuing to do that. Mm. All right, when we come back, we've got Zachary Newman of the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project talking about the housing crisis that's already begun. BRB. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners. Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger. Though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now, all signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. As coronavirus cases continue to surge in the U.S., lockdowns and loss of employment have led to a nationwide housing crisis. According to one survey published last week by Apartment List, 
32% of households have not made their full housing payments for July yet. And the problem is projected to get even worse as the summer progresses. Today, we're joined by Zachary Newman. He's the founder of the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project, a Colorado-based community group that is tackling the issue. Good afternoon, Zachary. Hey, guys. Great to be on. So... In the U.S., eviction moratoriums and rent freezes in some places have seemed to help keep people from losing their homes in the past few months. What's changing now? Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of things happen. One, we're starting to see a lot of the federal money that was supporting tenants come to an end. So as you all probably know, enhanced unemployment insurance will be ending in just a week or two here. Uh, For some folks, it's already ended. Uh, Stimulus checks have mostly been spent down by families. And then, of course, a lot of states now are ending eviction moratoriums, meaning that families either need to pay back rent that's owed or they need to move out. So your organization has done some analysis of the situation. Beyond what we are seeing now, do we have any idea what the longer term effects of these evictions will be? Yeah, I think, you know, the impact of eviction has both an individual cost and a community cost. The individual cost is well documented. That's things like, uh, you know, lower health outcomes, uh, folks' ability to retain a job after an eviction goes down pretty dramatically. If you have children and you're evicted, their ability to attend school falls pretty dramatically. So their educational outcomes go down. And then on the community side, there are real costs. Uh, the cost to state, county, and other local governments after an eviction in a place like Denver is about $30,000 a year. Uh, as people move into homeless shelters, as they face a higher risk of institutionalization, as they go to the emergency room more. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to see both for individuals a lot of suffering, but also here in Denver and around the country, much higher costs for state and county governments that often, you know, have to pay for people who've become homeless and have to support those individuals. Mm. We've also seen cited from your analysis that of the 110 million Americans living in rental households, 20% are at risk of eviction by September 30th. I mean, that's a that's a scary number. Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, a mm. huge portion of renters have been displaced by COVID-19. We're talking about a lot of folks that work in the service industry, folks who work at gyms, bartenders, et cetera. And, you know, these people haven't been able to work since April. They haven't earned income government programs that were put into place to support people who are staying home to keep all of us safe now are ending. And so there's a real question around how these people are going to pay their rent. So when we share that number, a lot of people express surprise, but I I don't think it should be. I mean, the unemployment numbers reflect it. And I imagine this is all affecting some groups of people more than others, right? What do we know already about how this is breaking down along racial lines? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is a story of American housing, right? So if you're a black American, if you're Latino, uh, the odds of uh, facing eviction risk go up pretty dramatically. Uh, This is especially true in core urban areas where rental prices are higher. So again, this is, this is something that's been going on in America for generations, but uh, it's happening again due to COVID-19. Mm. Your group is working with people who are facing evictions every day. So based on that, what's the number one thing that you think people facing eviction don't know but should? I'd say amongst our clients, the biggest thing we see is that when folks get like a notice on their door or a letter in the mail about the eviction, they think it's it. They're being evicted Mm. and they just have to move out. And oftentimes there are a lot of steps between that first notification and when the eviction actually takes place. And there's a lot you can do between that first notice And when you got to move, I mean, those are things like talking to a lawyer, negotiating with your landlord, even just staying in the place and taking stock of your options. So if I was to give one piece of advice that's true in all parts of the U.S., it's when you get that first piece of of notification, when you get that first letter 
or that first thing on your door, don't just move out, go talk to somebody, get help. There are resources and, and that often leads to a better outcome than just moving. So what else do you think needs to be done at this point to slow down this so-called eviction avalanche? Yeah, I think the, the number one thing that we need to see here in the U.S. is more federal money. So I know Congress is kicking around a lot of proposals, but uh, a HEROES Act that includes rent relief now for working families would be great. Uh, barring that, I think states are going to have to take action. So extension of state-by-state moratoriums to buy folks time, and then in addition to that, potentially state money. The issue there is you know, a lot of state budgets don't have the capability to, uh, to fund the amount of rental debt we're now seeing. But uh, again, something, something has got to take place because otherwise I think this wave is going to start in just a few weeks and it's going to continue through the fall. Like you mentioned before, um, for tenants facing eviction, they should reach out to someone. Your organization is based in Colorado. Should people who need help outside of Colorado contact you or are there other local groups that you recommend people turn to for assistance? Yeah, so the law in every state is different, and we're Colorado attorneys, uh, so we represent Colorado tenants. Uh, if you're not in Colorado, there are a lot of great organizations. Probably the best place to go first is your local legal services or legal aid organization, and, and these folks provide free counsel to people who are facing issues like eviction. They can guide you to other resources. They can represent you directly. They can give you advice. Maybe that's all you need, but talking to someone in that organization is a good first step. Um, and they can direct you to the right place. Well, thank you. That's so helpful. And thank you for uh, joining us today. Yeah, happy to be on, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Great that you're spending some time on this issue. Okay, we have time for one more thing. And today, that thing is the heartbreak we are about to foist upon all of our dogs. Bloomberg reports that dogs are getting, quote, overly bonded and having more and more meltdowns as people leave them. Not just leaving the apartment, but leaving the room. Casey, I forget. Did you grow up with dogs? Oh, yes, I did. Shout out to Allie, Sammy, and Lola. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I Even without this Bloomberg story completely understand, completely agree. Our dog, Bean, has always been an anxious little monster, but now it's to the point that he's he's uh, entitled and kind of a bully <laughs> about it. Like before, it was like, oh, okay, we left the apartment and he's just going to cry and be upset the whole time. He has a lot of anxiety, but now we stop petting him for two seconds when he doesn't want, and he whines at us, and he has trouble self-soothing like a toddler, and it's like, oh, buddy, this is a problem problem. Oh my God. (laughs) That's hilarious to me. I mean, uh, my dogs, they could, who have passed away, they could not have related. Growing up, I always had one parent who worked from home full time. So uh, they had someone always. (laughs) Right. But that's interesting because when both parents then did leave the house, were they, did they get the separation anxiety? That's a good question. I don't think so. But (laughs) But I also think it is, it truly is a breed thing when it comes to dogs. Just some are more, are more anxious than other dogs. That's true. So the experts in the Bloomberg article recommend starting to separate yourself from your dogs now to make it so they aren't little tyrants when slash if people ever eventually go back to work, which sounds like torture for both us and the dogs. Like your dog comes up to you with a toy. If you're supposed to be like at work, you're not supposed to like give him the attention. You're supposed to throw the ball to like play with him when you're just not supposed to be there. <laughs> and Sounds rough. Sounds really rough. Don't let your dog become a tyrant. Uh, too late. Too late. <laughs> 
If you're dealing with a dog who has become a little too sure that you're going to be hanging out 24-7 forever, tell us about it. Open up the Voice Memo app on your phone. Tell us your woeful tale of woeful tales and send it to us at newsoclock at buzzfeed.com. That's newsoclock, all one word. Or you can type it all out and send us a DM on Twitter. We're at newsoclock on there too. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for a talk with climate scientist Mark Parrington about the surge in wildfires he's seeing in the Arctic. And remember, your dog will still love you even if you don't pay attention to him for two seconds. I promise. You hear that, Bean? I promise. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is Trapped in Treatment, a weekly podcast of shocking survivor experiences and stories from an industry plagued by controversy. With my hosts, Caroline Cole and Rebecca Mellinger, we will uncover the truth of one teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners, Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger, though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now... All signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.